We welcome you into the best podcast available two weeks away from the 2021 NFL draft here in the CLE. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble, and we've got quite a show for you today. Matt Miller from ESPN, NFL draft analyst, uh, will join the program. In addition, Brown safety Grant Delpit will join the program to talk about his draft experience, the offseason, looking ahead here to the 2021 season, and talking about eh, a new addition to the Cleveland Browns in the form of defensive edge rusher Jadavian Clowney. Gribs, the Browns getting it done. The front office getting it done. Um, Andrew Barry, you know, in his part of the press release, said uh, that Jadavian Clowney was relentless. And it was Jadavian Clowney that was saying, Andrew Barry was the one that was relentless when it came to pursuing the defensive end. Barry gets his guy on a one-year deal. Jadavian Clowney is a Cleveland Brown. Yeah, it's interesting because I think this is a long courtship that has finally ended with Clowney with the Browns. I think it was well-documented last year the Browns were interested in Jadavian Clowney, and he ultimately went to the Titans. Uh, had a solid year up to the point where he was and then had a knee injury creep up and, and ended his season about halfway through it. So I think he's healthy now. He's ready to prove himself. And I think with what the Browns have going on their defensive line with Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, Tack McKinley, Porter Gustin, and some others, I mean, you've got what now looks like a full defensive end room. And I think now you enter the draft in two weeks pretty much open. I, I still think we... I still think we think it's going to be a defensive player. I think I've lowered my percentages just a little bit, though, now. I think I've gone from 99% to maybe like a 93% uh, uh, prediction on defensive players, but that's that's what you do in free agency. You cover up your areas of weakness, so you're drafting in a position of strength and getting a, a true solid player at number 26 or later in the draft or earlier in the draft, if you make some moves up or down, uh, depending on what suits you best. Yeah. Uh, the uh, All options are on the table. I would think now for that Thursday night pick at pick number 26, what's more fascinating will be what happens on day two. I think now, you know, this team has the flexibility. We've talked about the fact we don't anticipate them using all of their draft picks. And this could be a situation where the Browns could definitely be in play to move up. Maybe t- You know, if a guy falls and it's within that 10 spot radius uh, of the Browns, maybe they move up and they go get a guy. Uh, Maybe they move back. Maybe they, maybe they even move back on Thursday night. I don't know if that necessarily happens. I think they're content to, to let the best player available fall to them, but now it opens up what could be a very interesting Friday night for this football team. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, I think there a lot of the focus, understandably now, is what would make the Browns better in 2021 to go win a Super Bowl. But at the same time, the long-term vision of your franchise is building it through the draft and getting players on these four- to five-year deals outside the draft and building that way. I mean, the reason why the Browns are in this position, uh, outside of the hire of Kevin Stefanski and everything else like that, your core of this team, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, those are all draft picks. Those are guys that have been here on rookie deals and have allowed you to fill out the roster around them to, to maximize the talent you have. So now you, you're looking, these picks are not just about 2021. These are, you're planting the seeds for this to be not just a one-year thing with the Browns winning. I mean, this is about long-term winning. And I, so that's why 
I still think defense is where you go because I think you need some more long-term solutions on the defense because you've got a lot of these guys, Clowney included, on one-year deals. Uh, but it just opens it up where I, I, I still think you're going to find a few new offensive players on this team via the draft, and it could be on day one and day two. I, I just think it's more open because, as Nathan likes to say, you can roll this team out there right now and feel good about it. Now you're just adding to this team via the draft, via nine picks, whether or not you make all nine, we'll see. But these are truly now picks about the future. This isn't just about 2021 with this draft. And with Clowney signing, that that becomes even more abundantly clear. All right, let's take a talk about Jadavian Clowney. Your biggest takeaway from his introductory press conference uh, held well, on Wednesday. Well, I think the, the, the most memorable answer is, is going to be what he said about what's changed about the Browns in the last year. And I think the easy answer is they're a winning team now. I mean, and, I, and, you, and it's a completely understandable thing. I mean, he went to the Titans last year who were coming off that great run to the AFC championship, uh, beating the, upsetting the Ravens in the playoffs. He was joining a team that he thought was one step away from the Super Bowl. The Browns in 2019 didn't look like that team. They were six and 10, had a lot of questions, had a new head coach. I mean, you you understand what what his thought process was. This is a different situation he's walking into. I also think it's a different playing situation he's walking into. I, I think when you looked at it last year, was he going to be an every down guy uh, on the other side of Miles Garrett? Now you look at it more of as this can we can you can maximize his talents by maybe lessening his snap count and, and putting him in situations to really wreak havoc alongside Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, uh, Tack McKinley, all those guys. So I think the situation, the the winning, everything like that stood out with the way he reacted to that question. He just said simply, they're winning now. And, and that just that that made all the difference for him. I think the other thing that I took away, you know, he said they wanted me. They sh they showed yeah. me how much they wanted me and they have an idea of how they want to use me. And he clearly liked that and that appealed to him, whatever that philosophy might be that Joe Woods and, and Kevin Stefanski have pitched to him, he really liked it because he's a Cleveland Brown here today. Well, I think one thing to – a very underrated thing about Clowney, and, and I think almost an underrated thing about the Browns' defense last year was the Browns were a lot better against the run last year than they've been in most years. And, there, and stopping the run is something Clowney is very good at. And I, I think that that plays into the strengths of this defense where just because he's known as, as a big-time pass rusher, this guy makes your run defense better. And I think that was – that, that run defense last year, I think, held the Browns together defensively and made them better than they might have been had they not been good at the run. I mean, that, that was the one thing they did pretty well. Uh, and you want to keep doing those things well while getting better at the things you didn't do so well. And I think the upgrades in the secondary, adding some, maybe some more speed at linebacker, I think that makes you better stopping the pass. But I, I think now you're able to maintain how solid you were against the run last year. And that's, that's very important, especially in the division the Browns are in right now. We will hear from Grant Delpit on the newest member of the Cleveland Browns, Jadavian Clowney, coming up in a couple minutes. Right now, though, uh, what the Browns may or may not do at pick number 26, ESPN draft analyst Matt Miller had a chance to sit down with Gribbs. Gribbs knocked out everything this week. Running the show this week, Gibbs. It was a Gribbs podcast, basically. I'm here for about six minutes of it. Gribbs took care of the rest. He did all the heavy lifting. A great interview with Matt Miller, though, and some great insight on some of the guys in this draft and who may or may not be there at pick number 26. Have a watch and have a listen. All right, we're glad to be joined now by Matt Miller, ESPN draft analyst. You can follow all his work at, at NFL.
NFL draft scout, and you'll be seeing him on your TV a lot in these coming weeks and during the NFL draft. And Matt, I'm just wondering what your perspective of the Browns is entering this 2021 draft and how different it is to look at them from the bottom of the first round instead of the top. Yeah, Andrew, it's very different this year to be drafting at number 26 overall and not having traded back to that point. I think that's what's really exciting right now. And one thing that, and I'm sure we'll get into this, one thing that's really interesting this year is that the Cleveland Browns don't have a lot of desperate needs. You know, normally we would see the Browns headed into a draft and say, okay, you got to get a quarterback, got to get an offensive tackle. There really aren't that many needs this year. There aren't that many holes, which speaks to the job that Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski have done. So I think, you know, Browns fans have always been dedicated and loyal. I've loved you know, over the last decade of covering the draft, interacting with Browns fans because they know their stuff. They're passionate about their their team. Uh, so it's exciting to see a winning program there now that y'all get to enjoy this a little bit. Just looking back real quick at last year, what did you learn about Andrew Barry and his drafting style with, with the Browns? And how does that uh, weigh into how you look at how they see the field this year? Yeah, you know, last year is tough to put too much stock into because of, you know, all the, the changes due to the COVID-19 pandemic really starting, you know, in March. Uh, we saw a lot, a lot of processes change. But I think one thing that we uh, can learn about Andrew is that they're going to take everything into account. You know, this is not a strictly analytics-based front office. This is not a strictly tape-based front office. And I thought they did a great job of playing the board smartly last year, not panicking. Uh, when you start to see a couple offensive tackles come off the board, not panicking, waiting, and getting a player who I had as the top tackle in last year's draft. So I think they did a really good job of that. I'm anxious to see if that carries forward this year up. Will they remain patient and let the board fall to them? Or do we see them maybe get a little bit more aggressive? I think that's something where we can start to figure out what the signature is of the general manager. You know, are you conservative? Are you aggressive? How do you value future draft picks? I haven't seen the Browns give up much draft capital yet. So I think that's something that we'll all be trying to just figure out with this year's draft. Now, I know a lot of what you're probably talking about on TV these days is about offensive players, quarterbacks, the wide receivers, <laughs> yes. offensive tackles at the beginning of the draft, but is this a good draft to need defense the way it appears the Browns will be headed this year? It is where the Browns are drafting. And I think that's the key. There are, I only have one player ranked in my top 10 who is on the defensive side of the ball. That's Micah Parsons from Penn state. So where the draft, as you mentioned, it's so offensive heavy. We're going to see five quarterbacks drafted fairly early. We're going to see four pass catchers drafted early, two offensive tackles drafted early. The Browns will not be at least addressing those positions early. So that is good news because more, valuable defensive players are going to get pushed down a little bit. So I think this year with the depth of edge rusher, while there's not that one elite prospect, the depth is good. The depth at corner and safety are really good. The depth, you know, at the linebacker position there, and this is a year where we actually have a lot of really good coverage linebackers. So the depth on defense is very impressive this year, even if there's not those outstanding players you know, like Jeff Okuda going number three overall last year, we're not going to see that this year, but that is good news for the Browns because the, end of round one to end of round two, you're getting a lot of quality starters on that side of the ball. And this may be more of a philosophical question, but what, what makes someone a late first round pass rusher? Because we know there's so much yeah. premier, so much stock put in the pass rusher position. You just don't usually see this many guys pegged as late first round. I think what's different this year is we have some players who lack production or experience. Gregory Russo had one year at Miami and he had 19 and a half tackles for a loss and 15 and a half sacks, but it's hard to figure out how much of that production was due to the scheme, how much of that production was due to him because we didn't get to see a follow-up. Jalen Phillips from Miami takes his place and was fantastic. And he checks a lot of the boxes, but he has injury concerns in history, history with concussions while he was at UCLA. Jason Owe from Penn state is running a four, three, 
but he didn't have any sacks last year. So with all these edge rushers, there's, there's things that you get really excited about, but there might be one to two traits that they're deficient in, whether it's experience, production, whatever it might be. And so I think that's why we're seeing more mid to late round one grades on the pass rushers instead of the Chase Young, Nick Bosa. Oh my God, you have to go get this guy early. You know, even Montez Sweat, who went to the Carolina Panthers, he would be the top pass rusher in this class. And so yeah. I think that's where we're seeing players who have a lot of potential, a lot of potential, but there's one to two things that might be missing. And that's why they are being pushed down the board. Of those guys in the late first round situation, which one of them for you was an easy evaluation and which one has maybe been the toughest one for you? Oh my gosh. I think the easiest evaluation is probably Quiddy Pay from Michigan, just because we've been able to see him do it for a little bit longer. And it, he's done it with speed and power. It's not just a pure edge rusher. It's not just a pure power rusher. He's been asked to move all around the Michigan defensive line, do a couple different things. So I think that's the easiest evaluation, but also he has the athleticism. So it's not just production. He has burst, he's twitchy, very agile, and he has good strength uh, throughout his, his body. So I think he's the quote unquote easiest. I think the hardest would be Jason Oway because you're trying to figure out here's a player who has elite of elite physical traits. Like he is what you would, he's better than what you would design in a lab to be a pass rusher. But you have to reconcile that with the fact that he didn't have a sack in 2020. Now he had a four and a half in 2019, I believe. And he's had production in the past. He's had a lot of pressures, but not getting home last year. That's something that you do worry about and try to figure out, okay, like what, what is this? Because you, we can only get so far breaking down a scheme without knowing assignments, right? And so that, that does make it tough of can this player produce at the NFL level when he didn't in college? So that, that is the big question mark with him. Now, another position that has a lot of focus with the Browns is the cornerback spot. It seems like this has been a very good period for the cornerbacks. You hear about all these great pro yeah. days these guys are having. Which one of these guys could realistically be in the mix at 26? And, and which ones would the Browns maybe have to make a move up? Yeah, I think to make a move up, there's three names. That's Patrick Sertan, the second from Alabama, J.C. Horn from South Carolina, and then Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, who just went through the combine medical check. That's very, very important for where his stock is at. So those three are, are likely to be off the board. I think the conversation then starts with players like Greg Newsom, the second from Northwestern. Uh, you probably look at someone who's physical, plays the ball very well. He's aggressive. On the other side, that would be someone a little bit smaller with really good instincts, Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State. So the corner class, there is good depth. We can see five to six drafted in the first round. It wouldn't be a surprise. But then when you come around into round two, there's still good players. There's Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes, both from Georgia, really good players. There's Aaron Robinson from Central Florida, who's, who will likely be a top 50 pick and is a very good player. So it's, it's a good year to have a need at corner because that depth does stretch into the second round. So is it fair to say if you don't get one in the first round, you're still in pretty good shape in the second? I definitely or, think so. And does that differ position. from maybe the pass rushers? Yeah, so I think that's a, a great way to look at this. And that's something I try to educate my readers and viewers on is it's not there's not just one round in the draft. There are seven. Mm -hmm. So you want to try to come out of this with the best combination of players at multiple positions. So when you look at the depth of the corner position, it is a little bit better in round two than the edge rusher class is. The edge rushers are most likely going to come off the board in the top 50, the players who have high starting traits so you look at that I think at 26 if there's an edge rusher there that you like or a defensive lineman that's probably the better value at 26 and then coming around in round two there will be corners who can play and we see it every year you know players dropped around three round four at corner and you just draft an athlete you draft somebody who can run somebody who's physical and you incorporate them into your scheme based on your scouting and they can end up being good starters so I think with corners it's not as much of a position where you have to stress out about we have to draft a guy in the first round. We have to get those premium traits because you can find speed and length later in the draft. 
it, it gets pretty polarizing with Browns fans when you talk about linebackers in the first round. There's a lot of yes. opinions on, on these guys, the, whether you take one in the first round or not. I mean, do you do you see some players that might be worthy of that spot? And, and how does that mesh with maybe what, what the analytics models say about taking linebackers early? Right. It is tough. But, you know, linebacker is also one of the most successful positions drafted in the first round in terms of hit rate. You know, guys who are become pro bowlers get that second contract. So it's a more valuable position when you look at it that way. Or if you just watch the Super Bowl, it was a pretty valuable position. Right. So I think that is, you know, maybe the tide does turn there a little bit of if you can find and I think this is an important part of it. If you can find the right linebacker, if you can find someone who can stay on the field all three downs, if you can find a Devin White. okay, that's very valuable. So I think this year. There are very valuable linebackers who will be available at 26. You can hope that someone like Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo from Notre Dame slips down the board a little bit because he's a little undersized, but he's excellent in terms of coverage. And he can do a, he can play in all three phases of the game defensively. Uh, if it's not a round one need, in round two, you're probably looking at someone like a Jabril Cox from LSU, who is, in my opinion, the best pure coverage linebacker in the draft. Nick Bolton from Missouri. Chasserat from North Carolina. So there is, again, in round two, you're getting pretty good depth of the linebacker position. I think there's a, probably a drop-off after that point, though, to where you're looking at players who are not likely to be three-down assets once you get to round three and later. Now, I think in my last few months, I've found one mock draft that had the Browns taking an offensive player, and that was a wide receiver. Now, I don't think that – we don't think that might happen now in the right. first round, but is there a sweet spot in with wide receivers in this draft where you could really maybe get someone that's maybe more talented than, than where you're picking them at? I think the beauty of the wide receiver position right now is that every round there's that sweet spot because there are just so many. You know, I mean, the amount of work I do on wide receivers has doubled in the past couple of years. It used to be you try to get about 35 of those guys evaluated because that was the average. It's about 35 players drafted. Now I'm getting into the 50s, 60s. You know, there's so many wide receivers out there. So I, I do think that that's an area where really in every round, you're probably going to have value. And the key will be, uh, medicals number one but then is there a run if six receivers are drafted in the first round well then round two might actually be a little bit undersaturated compared to what the big board says it would be right so but anytime you get into rounds four through seven at the wide receiver position a lot, a lot like corner one thing you can kind of bet on that seems to work well is to draft athletes draft the guys who are running four threes draft the, the players who have elite size find a player with an elite trait draft them and hope to develop them as opposed to well, like this guy had good production, but he, he, he was slow. I, I would flip that around and take the player, maybe take the athlete over the great producer in college. So I do think day three, you can find a lot of steals at wide receiver, especially with Cleveland. You're not looking for a wide receiver one. You're looking for someone to fill a role, help on special teams. And that's where I think you can clean up a little bit in this draft. Now, Matt, I know it's tough to predict the future, but I, I'm wondering, have you heard from teams on how they're valuing picks this year in the draft? Say the Browns have nine picks in this year's draft but it's been a weird year to evaluate players. I mean, do you, yeah. do you get the indication that people will be trying to stockpile future picks or are their teams looking to make a lot of picks in this year's draft? It's interesting, Andrew, because you hear both. You hear the teams that say scouting was hard this year. We didn't get access to players. You only did medicals on 125 guys, which is a really low number. So let's maybe move some of those picks to next year. The other thing that you hear from some really proactive teams is that next year's draft class does not look as good as this year. So it, it is a little bit of a double-edged sword. We will know more about the players next year, but it looks like there will be a little bit of a drop-off in talent. You know, there, there aren't the household names returning. There's not a Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence returning. There's not, you know, even Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase, Najee Harris. There were so many players who we knew as underclassmen or as returning upperclassmen would be great prospects this year. 
next year, there seems to be a little bit of a drop off. So I think that is an interesting part of this is that we, we might see teams want to, you'd rather move those picks to a year where you know a lot more about the players, but you have to be aware of the talent drop off from this year to next year. And I'll just end on this one. This is a spot in the draft the Browns hope to be for a long time. What is, in your opinion, the hallmark of a team that wants to consistently be a winner? What do they usually do with these late first round picks? Well, you can look right within your own division and look at the Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers. And what they've done very well is hit in the middle rounds. It's not just you need to hit on your first round pick, right? But it's about finding starters in rounds two, three, four. You know, Pittsburgh seemingly has not missed at the wide receiver position maybe ever. You know, Baltimore has done a great job of packaging years where they have a lot of picks, years where they don't have many picks, but they're still finding starters in rounds three, four, five. So I think for Andrew Barry, for Kevin Stefanski, moving this thing forward, that's where you have to be. You have to continue to backfill your roster. It's too expensive to keep veterans, right? You have to always have that next guy waiting in the wings, whether it's due to, uh, due to injury, due to salary cap situations. So I think that's where if you're going to remain picking in the late 20s, you have to hit the mid rounds. All right, Matt Miller, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst. Follow him at, at NFL Draft Scout, and you'll be catching him with ESPN and ABC's NFL Draft coverage uh, through April 29th through May 1st. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you bet, guys. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we're joined now by Brown Safety Grant Delpit. And Grant, uh, I just saw your tweet reaction to the news, and I, I got to ask you, what, what you're thinking about getting Jadavian Clowney on this roster? I was just looking at that picture. I just thought to myself, man, it's about to get scary. It's about to get real scary, and uh, you know, hopefully we can all put it all together as a whole defense. So, you know, I think the pieces are there, man. You know, we just got to put it together now. So, now I'm sure you grew up watching SEC football. I mean, what does it mean to be on the same team as a guy like Clowney, a guy like Miles Garrett? You know, it's I mean, crazy. I know exactly. I remember exactly where I was at when that hit happened in South Carolina. I remember exactly where I was at. That's how. That's how I know that you know we got a great player and. Um, I was actually in Colorado on a ski trip with my family. And I knew, I knew that, that play happened. So, but um, you know, man, it's gonna be great for us to get another edge. Of course, like I said, we have all the pieces and you know, great player in the SEC um, history, like he has. So, best conference in the best conference in college football, you ask me. Grant, let's talk a little bit about you. What you're a few months removed now from from the injury. What's what's the latest on on how you're feeling and how you've gotten to this point? Yeah, I haven't really done any, any interviews since I've been hurt. I've been really trying to focus on myself and focus on getting back. That's what I've been doing. Um, so I'm almost done. Uh, almost feel like myself again. In like a month or two, and I'll be you know 100. So uh, it's been a long journey. Uh, it's been a long time coming, so just hopefully um, turn around this year and ready to get back to it. Well, what was maybe the the toughest part uh, of the this this whole this whole period of time for you? Um, the toughest part, uh, just just knowing that, um, you know, like you know, you work your whole life to get somewhere, and then anything can happen and off the wall. And you're forced to sit, you know, sit back and watch. So that's the toughest part. But it's life, you know, it happens. Grant, when you're when you're going through this rehab process, was there like a, a turning point moment where you saw some real progress and and it kind of propelled your momentum here going forward in in, in the rehab? I mean, to be honest, not really myself, just because I've been dealing with it for so long. But you know, my PTs and the people I've been working with say it's definitely turned around fast. Uh, 
And I don't remember a particular time because it's been so long, but um, it's definitely turned around, to say the least. How close have you gotten with a guy like Greedy during this time who's been dealing with a similar thing and, and trying to get back to full strength for 2021? You know, I've always been close to Greedy. Um, so just the opportunity for us to, I guess, you know, talk about things and get even closer, uh, it's been good. You know, it sucks being able to have to sit out and go to rehab every day while the people, while our teammates are practicing, not being involved in a lot of stuff. So um, it's good to go over with somebody that I already knew, but it's the last time, you know, this hopefully. Uh, so we try to get on the field together. And, and then just how much excitement did you get from watching what this Browns team became this past year? And how much did that drive you to get back uh, for this season? Yeah, it's great. Um, it sucked we have to sit out of it and just watch from a distance, but um, I got all the confidence in the world that we can continue that and even get better. You know, we're just scratching the surface of where we need to be at. Um, and hopefully we keep building and keep adding more pieces. We can keep going for a long time. What 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 have you thought so far about what Ronnie Harrison brought to the table as a, as a player and then now with the signing of John Johnson, how you guys can kind of work together uh, as, as safeties in the back end of this defense? Oh, two, uh, two ballers, two playmakers. Um, Ronnie, uh, we got Red, me, uh, we got Moffitt, and, um, you know, John. So hopefully, like I said, depth is depth is great. And we always want to have depth in everybody that can play. Um, you know, vets, we got vets and John, we got Ronnie. Like I said, we got all the pieces, man. We got time to put it together now. Um, and hopefully, we can make it work. And from what you know about this Joe Woods defense, I mean, how much can it thrive with that kind of depth of, at the safety position? Yeah, you know, I don't know what coach got up his sleeve, uh, <laughs> but we'll find out pretty soon. We report, um, so we'll see, man. I don't call the shots; I just go go with the flow and go with the motion. So we'll see, man. I don't know yet. We're getting near the the start of the, the 2021 draft here, so it's been about one year since you went through your whole process. When you look back on that, what stands out the most to you when you look back on, on your draft process? Uh, what stands out to me my, by my draft process? I would just say, you know, just speaking to the guys about to get drafted, just the stress. Uh, just don't let it fold you. I actually just tweeted something like that. Just don't let it fold you, man. Just let everything work out how it's supposed to work out. Uh, you can do all you can do, work out, train, uh, every day, uh, but you know, you gotta get drafted where you get drafted and it's gonna work out in the end. So, you know, it's just a lot of stress and like stuff like that going on in that process, but it's all it works out. It's God's plan. Was that the most stressful part of your career or any, you know, yeah, especially you, the days leading up, yeah, especially the days leading up to the draft. Uh, you know, my cousin going through it right now. Um, he, he's Lorenzo Neal, he plays for Purdue, so um. You know, it's definitely real, but at the end, it's a great feeling. So that's all that matters. You jealous of him that he didn't have to go through a real combine? I mean, nah, not really. I mean, I, I didn't go through a real, because I didn't go through a real combine, really. I didn't really do anything in the combine, but interviews and medical. So uh, nah, it was a cool experience, man. And I would have wished I would have did some more stuff. So 
And, and then just looking ahead, uh, what, what do your next couple months look like in getting yourself ready for training camp? How, 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 many, how many hours do you think you're logging in this, in this weight room to get ready and, and get excited for training camp? I, I don't put so many hours in the weight room, man. Um, but that's just part of life when you play in the league. So especially when you hurt. Um, so, you know, I don't know how many hours I put in, but, you know, I'm going to continue to do that um, and do everything I can to get on the field. Um, so, you know, it's time. It's been a long time coming. Hopefully I can get the fans what they want, get myself what I want, get my family what I want. So, you know, hopefully we'll see, bro. And during all this kind of weird times, I mean, how it, what, what, what would it feel like to be in kind of a full Cleveland Brown stadium in the fall after the year the whole world's gone through and, and, and what you've gone through personally here? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what the experience will be like, but I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, I know the fans are waiting for it and the players are waiting for it. Um, so we'll see, man. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, you know, August and September can't come fast enough. Uh, but until then, we wait back, train, and work out, practice, and get ready. So that's all we can do. Cool. Well, Grant, thank you so much, and uh, appreciate you joining us. And, and Browns fans, make sure to check out all of the episodes of the best podcast available. Log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcast. Like and subscribe today. You can also watch all of our episodes online at youtube.com slash browns. Thanks to Brown Safety Grant Delpit for joining us. Thanks to Matt Miller for, from ESPN for stopping by. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel for all of his hard work. For Jason Gibbs, I'm Andrew Gribble. Thanks for watching and thanks for listening to the best podcast available.